Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. My name is Jean-Christian Jury, and I'm uh, the chef and author of Vegan the Cookbook. This cookbook is the definitive vegan Bible with 450 recipes from more than 150 countries. How long did it take you to compile these recipes? Oh, it took me 18 months altogether. 18 months of traveling, of course. So I've been in all Asia, India, South America, North Africa, Central Africa, and of course, Europe. I can't wait to go back to the next tour. What was the turning point in your life to change to a vegan lifestyle? Uh, I was working in London. Uh, I was running three restaurants at the same time, and I had a very, very messy uh, diet. And the, my life was tiring at that time. Didn't sleep enough. Um, you know, you eat whenever you can grab something and whatever you, you can find which is very wrong. And I had the first heart failure. Uh, six months later, I got a second one and I started to really scared, of course, about my health. And uh, my doctor said, you know what? You should adopt a healthy diet. You should start to sleep enough. You should start to, to exercise, to take care about your life. He said to me, you know, everybody has two lives. I said, what do you mean we have two lives? He said, yes, you have two lives. The second one, start when you understand that you have only one. He was completely right. So I started to really care about the diet. I started to study and learn a lot. I've been to Istanbul to a raw food uh, concept. And I started to transform my cooking in a healthy cooking. And of course, you learn very fast when you have a classic uh, chef uh, school behind you. It was quite easy for me. And I love to cook with spices, so I started to create a new range of, uh, of dishes, but at the gourmet level, because I didn't want to go to a kind of hippie camp. And slowly, after opening my restaurant in Berlin, I became, I think, one of the best vegan destinations of the world. And uh, I managed in seven years' time to put Berlin on the map as the best vegan destination in front, in, ahead of New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, which was quite an achievement, but we managed to do it. And believe me, we were kind of mission star vegan restaurant, uh, the, the same way you have today uh, beautiful restaurants in, in Los Angeles. And I'm very proud about what we did there, and I'm very proud about how high we put the bar of vegan food uh, against the conventional food. And I'm so glad that chefs today start to really uh, create new food. And I'm sure that in a couple of years, every restaurant going to have vegan options on the menu. So great. Let's do it. As a pioneer and visionary in the vegan world, you once said, quote, in the 20th century, chefs in France wrote the West menu. Today, the future of food is being written in Berlin, and that future is vegan, end quote. Now, when I think of German cuisine, I think about meat and sausages. So what drew you to Berlin to open your restaurant? Uh, it was just pure mathematics. I always have to laugh when I think about that because when you're in Europe 
and you look for a destination to open a new restaurant, a new concept. Okay, I tried London, I tried Paris, I tried Milano, Roma, Barcelona. The price of the square foot in a high street is so expensive, it's just not doable. And you address on the top of that to a very small part of the market. So it's a hard fight. And Berlin was for me the best option, uh, first in a financial way, and then the size of the city was okay. 3.2 million uh, people were living there. The vegan population was growing quite fast. So I decided for Berlin just because of that. No, no other factor. I was not afraid about the sausage eater, you know. There are people like the other guys, <laughs> no problem. So you thought you could get a big enough group of people who weren't into sausages in Berlin? Yeah, it was quite a challenge because my first review was in uh, in the Berlin newspaper, the local newspaper that everybody is reading there. And the title was La Mano Verde, which was my restaurant. Uh, great concept, no future. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I, I called the journalist and I said, I did something wrong yesterday. And he said, no, no, it's not about you. I just did the mathematics like you did. So I took 3.2 million people city, uh, cut in half because half of the population cannot afford or are too young to come to your restaurant. And then you are 0.1% of vegan in Berlin. This leaves you with three customers a day. And I say, <laughs> I say, okay, great. What I do now? So I, it was a wake-up call for me. So I decided to, to react. And the first thing I did, I just deleted the word vegan from everything I had around me. I mean, my menus, my marketing, uh, either on the, the top of my name, the restaurant. I became plant-based. So, you know, the word vegan was kind of scary 10 years ago because of, of this beautiful work done by uh, groups like PETA and all these animal rights people. They are small groups, so they try to, to be very active and they're very loud. And because they're very loud, people are a bit afraid. And the word vegan became uh, like, it had a negative image because all of that. And people didn't understand what vegan was about. So for me, my first target was to give a positive image to, to vegan food. And the only way to do it was to cook at a gourmet level, the same level as any other Michelin star restaurant on the planet. And this worked very well. So here you have the story. Talk a little bit about how you travel around for, what is it, 11 months out of the year? Yeah, minimum. Uh, and I go back actually uh, from September, again, on, on a big tour, because the book is coming out in French, in German, in Spanish, in Dutch. And I try to get it also, also translated in Chinese. I have a contact there now. So I travel and I give cooking classes. Um, yeah, yesterday evening I was at ICE. I gave a beautiful class. I love this school in New York. It's a beautiful school, great people. I had uh, 12 students for a private class about vegan and raw food. I give classes in Zurich uh, to the Hiltel Academy, which is the oldest vegetarian restaurant in the world. I give classes in New Delhi, India to another culinary art institute. I give classes in London, 
uh, a bit in Mexico also, a bit all around the planet. I have my students, my schools, so I go there at least once a year. The rest of the time I write recipes or I go to conferences like vegan fairs. I just came back from Vancouver. Uh, tomorrow is the fair in New York, the street vegan fair. Then I am uh, in Zurich for the vegan fair, then in Paris, then in London, and I give conferences there. And I talk about the evolution of vegan food around the planet, new ingredients, new cooking techniques. And it's fun. And I love the way uh, the people react today. They, they really have tons of questions always because I think the information is not there yet. We still have so much to teach and they have so much to learn. Uh, you know, don't go to a vegan diet before you study it. It's, it's, it can be dangerous for you. It's like any diet. You have to know what you do. You cannot just change diet and, and eat whatever you want. You have to study and you have to, to learn what to eat, what you cannot eat. But I think the trigger is fresh. For me today, it doesn't make sense to eat something which is not fresh. So we have to make the extra mile, go to the farmer's market or organic supermarket, get your ingredients as fresh as possible. And this is where you're gonna make a difference. You're gonna feel so much better and very quick, believe me. Exploring global vegan cuisine, what is your favorite part of the world for exceptional vegan food? I will say today it is South Korea, it is Taiwan and Japan. Uh, those three destinations are so flavorful. They use so many great ingredients. I discovered so many also there. And there's, there's a food culture because it's Buddhist, and uh, you have more and more temple today cooking lunch uh, for everybody. I just came back from Kuala Lumpur where you have a beautiful Buddhist temple. They have a, a cantina there and they cook every day for 400 people. And it's like a huge buffet. It's, it's wonderful. It's the, the same in, in Seoul, in uh, South Korea. You have a lot of temple cooking for, for people and teaching people how to cook vegan. In Japan, of course, it's a tradition for 5,000 years now. Same in India. Uh, we are very late here in, in Europe and America with our vegan cooking compared to those countries. Why do you think we are late? Because we're so hooked on our meat? But we are late because uh, if you really think about we come out in uh, 1945 from a second world war, right? It was a very depressing time. And people started to really eat a lot, drink a lot. It was kind of euphoric times. And then we changed our lifestyle. And to change our lifestyle, what happened is that we work a lot more than before. We left the, uh, the countryside to live in big cities. And what the industry, the food industry did for us, they just provided food that we can eat quick and cook quick and packed with uh, a lot of fats, sugars, and, and whatever bad ingredients, just to please us and to make sure that we can eat at our, at our speed today, which is wrong. We should take much more time. And, and this, this is the difference. It's easy to, to eat a burger 
chicken or beef already processed, you know. And because we don't have access to gardens anymore, we live in big cities, we don't have the fresh macro sprouts, sprouts, veggies in front of our door. We have to make the extra mile, go to the market. In Asia, it's different. You can buy food everywhere. On every street, you have uh, people, you know, selling fruits, veggies. Uh, it's, it's not a struggle to find the ingredients. And I think this, is, this makes a big difference. We have sometimes to, to walk miles or to take the car to get the ingredients. In Asia, you can really find them anywhere. And I think this is the big difference. Jackfruit seems to be the new it vegan food. You have a few jackfruit recipes in the cookbook. Describe jackfruit and how can we cook with it? <laughs> there are many ways to cook jackfruit. Uh, I love it raw. Personally, I love to, to just blend the jackfruit in, in a high-speed blender, mix it with uh, coconut cream, for example, and uh, add a bit of mango or passion fruit. They have a fantastic cream. Or what you can do is just use the jackfruit as you use a piece of meat in a stew. It's a sweet and sour stew. You can add any other veggie you want, a bit of soy sauce or tamari sauce, either a bit of garlic, and you can use jackfruit exactly like you use a piece of chicken. The, the, the texture is beautiful. So there are hundreds of ways to cook these kind of fruits, you know. Uh, the problem is to find it fresh here in America. But I saw yesterday uh, fresh jackfruit at Whole Food, so I was very wow. pleased with that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and it, it's a very nice one. I, I taste it. It's beautiful. It had a slight vanilla background. It was great. Ripe. Perfect. With the vast array of international recipes in this cookbook, did you? tweak any of them or did you keep them exactly as they were made for that certain part of the world? Now what I try to do is to use as less ingredients as possible to make to make it easy basically for the home cooks so they don't have to run all around uh, to get the ingredients and I try to make it simple as possible too so when I have a classic recipe which is very complicated I just work on it until I'm, I'm happy with the texture and, of course, the taste and flavor. And I publish it the most simple way possible. You have a whole chapter devoted to gift chefs. One chef, Chef Michel Brass, has his famous gargiou. Is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. Which is uh, not simple. Um, and he said that he was inspired 20 years ago by international street food. How has street food inspired you? Oh, you know, street food um, is also a lot in Asia, Southeast Asia. Uh, because we have cold winters here, we don't have as much access to street food as, as they have. Uh, you go, for example, today to Lima in Peru, they have a beautiful, what they call bioferia fair, twice a week, where they have two miles of beautiful vegan uh, street food. This is what inspired me because I discovered so many new fruits and veggies. Do you have any idea how many potatoes they have in uh, Peru? How many sorts of potatoes? No. Well, it's, <laughs> it's over 900. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I say exactly the same. Oh my gosh. I was <laughs> at the market there and I, I was amazed. 
We don't know all of this. They cook things that I, I never saw before. And this is where I learn also. Uh, I see the way they cook them, I talk to them, and it gives me, of course, new ideas with our veggies. You know, when I cannot source a, a vegetable, but I like the recipe locally, then I try to, to compromise and find what could replace this missing ingredient. And this is the way I'm going to build the recipe. New foods fascinate me, like plant-based seafood, especially shrimp. What are your thoughts on these types of foods? And have you ever had plant-based shrimp? No, um, please go away from any food replica. It doesn't make sense. This is, again, the industry trying to take advantage and make money they don't want to lose the vegan market because now they can see that vegan market becomes a real market. They, they start to, to sell a lot of ingredients, but they try again to take advantage and provide all full process vegan food. I mean, please don't go to that. It's, it's packed again with favoring agents and bad fats, and, and nobody can guarantee you really the quality of this food. Last week, I made the recipe for potato masala on page 130 of your cookbook. And I chose this recipe because I had never heard of Suriname. Um, It's on the Atlantic coast of South America and is considered to be culturally Caribbean. And Dutch is the official language. But it was very interesting seeing a South Asian dish in South America. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, they traveled... The Chinese, for example, travel a lot around the planet, and they were the first one to reach uh, South America. And they brought, of course, with them a lot of recipes, ingredients. The same in Madagascar. You go to Madagascar, you cannot believe how many Asian dishes you can find there. It all depends on, on those communities who live there. Look, South Africa, how many Indian dishes they have, because they had... Nobody knows it, but they had Indian slaves in South Africa. You believe that? So, of course, they brought the food with them. And food, you know, is a kind of long chain of uh, development, of spices, of flavors, of scent. You know why we use spices in Europe, let's say, in the... uh, 1100s to to 16, 1700s, because we didn't have a way to preserve the food. We didn't have a way to to store the veggies and anything else the right way. So what we did, when the food started to have a bad smell, they added just turmeric. So it gave, again, a good flavor. It's the same with the Roman Roman army. Before the Romans invaded uh, the planet, Nobody knew about bread. The Romans are the ones who spread bread around the planet. And not only that, 80% of the Roman food was uh, made with pepper, black pepper, just because they wanted to, to preserve the taste of, again, damaged food. So there are tons of pepper in the food. And uh, it's very interesting. Do you know any ingredients you cannot find today in America, for example? You can find absolutely everything. The uh, garam masala spice was really, really wonderful in this potato masala. And I actually used twice as much as the recipe called for. I try to be a bit conservative because a lot of people are not used to those very strong curry. 
So, um, yeah, of course you can add as much as you like. And another technique that I, I just developed right now when I was in India is about the ginger or galangal or turmeric. I don't add them in my cooking anymore. What I do, I juice them. So I have the extract and I have a beautiful liquid with a beautiful color, papunutrian. When I take my, my pot away from the stove, I let, it, let just the temperature drop for five minutes and then add my garlic juice or my turmeric juice, mix it, and the flavor are exceptional. It's, very, it's much more powerful than cooking the ginger inside the curry. What do you think? So is that your new technique that yeah. you developed for adding flavor after? Yes, you I cook just it? did it. Yeah. Yes, that's great. I'm going to have to try that out. Yeah, try it. So where can we find you on the web? If you want to try some recipes from the book, just go to my Facebook page. It's just facebook.com with a slash and my full name, Jean-Christian Jury, in one word. And you have access to tons of recipes, also a lot from the book. So they can test, see the pictures and, uh, and send comments or send questions when they have questions. And uh, I think that's the best way to, to communicate with uh, my, my fellow uh, home cooks. With this 800-page cookbook, Vegan Cuisine has never been so beautiful or appealing. Thanks for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thanks for having me. Subscribe in iTunes. And follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book, on Twitter at I am Susie Chase. Thank you so much for listening to Cookery by the Book podcast. Mm-hmm.